For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right man, ma mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The word of the Lord. A second reading is from Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 19. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus, so that if he found any any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them down to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. The word of the Lord. Amen. 
Almighty Father, I'm always, um, I'm regularly struck by um, the words of the creed and uh, how majestic they are, how big they are. They become very familiar, and so it's easy to kind of run past them. And yet, um, to say that we believe in, in you as our Father, our adopted Father through Jesus, to, to say we believe in the reconciliation that Jesus uh, procured uh, by his death and his resurrection to proclaim that we believe in the Holy Spirit, who is the Lord and the giver of life, who uh, renews us and makes us new creations in the words of our reading. And, and then to think of people like Ananias, who laid their, he laid his hands on Saul, his enemy, and prayed for him, and Saul, his enemy, became a, a brother. And to a great extent through Paul's ministry, it's how we know you. And so, Father, even now as I just think about that, it weighs me down and with a kind of heavy joy. And I pray that you would make these things vivid to us and that you would, in our day, right now, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. We don't want to just talk of things that are far away. We don't want to just talk about abstractions. We want to know you through Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. So get that done now. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. And um, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at both our readings. So uh, look back at page seven. The second, the second paragraph in the reading on page seven is going to be kind of where uh, we're primarily looking, but we're also going to illustrate from that reading from the book of Acts. Um, and now start with the first reading. This is uh, a letter from the Apostle Paul writing to a group in uh, Corinth, a church in Corinth. Um, and I want you to look at verse 20. And here's the thing with verse 20. Verse 20 is a verse that, that delights me. I love it. And it scares me. Both at the same time. Take a look at it. Uh, verse 20, therefore, Paul writes to the Christians, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. It scares me and it delights me. Why? Well, a um, little bit of context. So uh, just as I said, this is the Apostle Paul uh, writing to a church in Corinth. He's got a long history with this church. Um, and in this context, we've been seeing this over the last couple of weeks, um, Paul is writing about his own ministry. He's reflecting on his own ministry. And there's many ways in which Paul's ministry is, is completely unique. Paul was an apostle. Um, there's a bunch of ways in which his, his ministry was extremely unique. So when he says he's an ambassador, it's a little bit different than the way in which we are. However, as unique as the Apostle Paul's ministry is, there's a, in the wider context of Scripture, and even in the, in the book, uh, in, in this letter to the Corinthians, it's clear that there's a way in which all Christians and the whole church is called to be ambassadors for Christ. Paul's holding up his own ministry, but there's a way in which uh, it applies to the whole church. And so we are all of us, what this means, Emmanuel, is that we are all of us, if you're a Christian, and all of us together as a church, we are to be ambassadors for Christ. Um, God wants to make his appeal to the world. Let this take your breath away. God wants to make his appeal to the world in some great measure through us as a church. Now, that delights me and it frightens me. Why? Well, you know, I don't have to persuade you, do I, that we live in a world full of conflict and um, 
and full of, of what I want to call alienation. Is that fair? Um, what do I mean by alienation? Here's what I mean. Uh, theologian Paul Barnett says this. He says, alienation is the absence of trust and respect between persons. Does that sound familiar? It's the absence of trust and respect between persons. Alienation implies enmity, division, and the loss of communication. Now, that's pretty familiar, isn't it? Um, and it seems like the world's full of that. And I don't know if this is true, but sometimes it feels like the world's getting fuller of that. However, despite all of that, and this is why this passage delights me, despite all of that, this passage, along with the rest of the Bible, makes a big and audacious claim. And the big audacious claim is this. Despite the alienation that we see and the conflict that we see, as despite the fact that it seems at times to be increasing and, and overwhelming, despite all of that, this passage and the rest of the Bible claims that at the heart of the universe, there is a God of reconciliation. According to our passage and the rest of the Bible, God is not detached from the alienation we see in this world. In fact, he is all in on reconciliation. Um, he is so committed to reconciliation that Jesus Christ shed his blood for it. Like, talk, I mean, God's got skin in the game. And that fills me with joy. Because what it means is at least this, it means that we can look at the world with, with just clear realism. We can look at the world with all the conflict, all the alienation, and we can see the horribleness of it and we can take it as seriously as God took it. And God took it so seriously that it cost the death of his son. And at the same time that we're taking all that very, very, very seriously, we can also defy it by looking to Jesus and by pointing to Jesus Christ. And that makes me very happy. And it also frightens me very deeply. Because the verse says that God makes his appeal through us. And that's a grave responsibility, isn't it? And it's not hard to look at the church and to see ways in which we have failed miserably. Now, we haven't always failed. The church hasn't always failed. But the church has failed enough to be really on the hook for it. There, in fact, some of the alienation that we feel has to do, is all tied up with the church failing to represent God well and failing to re represent the message of reconciliation well. And there's a gravity to the responsibility here. And there's a weight of the failure of the church here that scares me. And here's the deal. Um, Emmanuel, as we replant, relaunch, however, whatever words you want to describe this, I want us to remember this, that Jesus Christ, right in the middle of a world in which it just seems like it's full and filling with alienation, Jesus calls us to be ambassadors of reconciliation. And that message needs to be a message that fills our heart with delight and compels us forward. And it also needs to, um, our, we need to feel the weight of the responsibility. And we need to live in that tension and let that tension drive us, leverage us closer to Jesus. Now, that's what we're going to talk about today. And to do that, I want to um, uh, unpack this by, in a sense, illustrating Paul's letter and the point that Paul is making in the first reading. I want to illustrate it by looking at Ananias in the second reading. 
And we're going to go back and forth, so it might be slightly confusing. So you're going to have to pay attention. Okay, there we go. Now, rem let, me remember, uh, let me remind you of the story. So the second reading is the story of a guy called Saul coming to know Jesus, becoming a Christian. Now, Saul, in the second reading, is the author of the first reading. Okay? Saul, later on, changes his name to Paul. I'm going to get confused. I'm going to say Saul. I'm going to say Paul. I mean the same guy. Okay? Now, at the beginning of the story, in the second reading, Saul is, um, he's, he's not a Christian. In fact, Saul hates Christians really, really bad. And uh, he's heading from Jerusalem to Damascus because he's intending to hunt Christians down and oppress them and to hurt them real bad, maybe kill them. Now, Ananias is like his target. Ananias is a regular disciple of Jesus in Damascus. And Ananias knows all about Saul. He's heard about Saul and he's scared. And he knows that Saul is intending to come to Damascus to find people like him and to throw him in jail or, or whatever the case, maybe even kill him. However, one day Ananias is praying. And as he's praying, Jesus speaks to him. I, I don't know what it was like, but Jesus speaks to him and says, Ananias, I want you to go find Saul and help him. Uh, pray for him. Now, for a second, put yourself in Ananias's shoes. Like, how would you feel? Because this is clearly a bad idea, right? Like, if you're talking to a mouse and you say, hey, I want you to go help out a cat. I just got cats, so it's on the mind. It's a bad idea. Like, that mouse is not going to, it's not going to end well for the mouse, okay? But Jesus is asking Ananias to be his ambassador to the most threatening person in Ananias's life. And my question is this, why does he do it? Why does Ananias say yes? Going to Saul is not in Ananias's best interest. Well, why does he do it? Well, turn over to the first reading, okay? Now, Paul, Saul, in the second reading, Paul, many years later, writes this letter, and he gives us an insight into what motivated Ananias. And it's in verse 17, Verse 17 says this, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Everybody say new creation. There we go. Now, we started talking about this last week. When you become a Christian, uh, there's a shift that takes place. When you surrender your life decisively to Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit makes a shift occur in your heart. There's a deep foundational change that is so profound that Paul says, it's like you're remade. It's like you become a new person. It's like you're a new creation. Now, what is that deep foundational change? Well, part of it is that there's a shift. We talked about this last week, remember? There's a shift from living for self to living for Jesus. There's a shift from prioritizing self-interest above everything to prioritizing the interests of Jesus above everything. And Paul spells that out in verse 15. You can glance at it. Um, Christ died, Paul says. Christ gave all that he is uh, so that we can respond by giving all that we are for him. So that we, Jesus, gave, Jesus died in order that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised again. There's a shift from living for ourselves to living for Christ. Now, Think about Saul before he's a Christian. Now, here's the thing about Saul. Saul is super religious. There's nobody more religious than Saul. And he's probably sincere. I don't think we have any reason to think he's not sincere. What's wrong with Saul? 
The thing that's wrong for Saul is that Saul is living for Saul more than Saul is looking at living for anything else. And according to the Bible, when we are living for self, it's one of the key contributing factors to why there's so much alienation in the world. I mean, the Bible word, word, word is sin. When we prioritize ourselves over and against God and over against his world. Saul, despite his religiousness, is living for himself. And because of that, anything that he finds in this world that seems to uh, align itself with his interests, he's going to identify that as an ally. And on the other hand, anything that is coming up against Saul and how he perceives his own interests are, is going to be seen as an, an enemy, an adversary, an opponent. And this explains one of the reasons why Saul is super religious and he's cozied up with the religious leaders of his day because in his mind, they're aligned with his self-interest. It's in his self-interest to be on their side. And it also explains why it is he's so uh, um, uh, aggressive towards the Christians because he sees them as an opponent to his self-interest. They're a threat to him. And therefore, despite his religious devotion, he's deeply selfish, deeply sinful. And that leads him to oppose the people of Jesus, to oppose Jesus, and it makes him an enemy of God. You can be really, really religious and be an enemy of God. But Ananias is different. Because Ananias, by this point, has surrendered his life to Jesus. And he knows deep down that God in Christ has given everything that he is for Ananias. Not because Ananias deserved it, but because God is a God who loves to reconcile his enemies. And when that reality landed upon Ananias, it, it caused him to want to decenter himself and recenter Christ. And that shift from uh, living for self above all to living for Christ above all is so profound that it was like Ananias was remade. It was like he was a new creation. And that explains why Ananias is willing to obey Jesus, go to Saul, despite the very real possibility that Saul might turn on him, turn him in and kill him. Don't forget how dangerous this moment was for Ananias. Now, here's the point for you and me. Emmanuel, the only way that we can be ambassadors for Christ is if we are first new creations in Christ. And that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, you've got to be a citizen of a country before you can be an, an ambassador from that country. And in the same way, you have to be a new creation in Christ in order to be ambassadors for Christ. And that's true for many reasons, but it's at least true for this reason. If, you're, if we are going to be ambassadors for Christ, then you must expect that on a regular basis, in fact, on a daily basis, Jesus is going to say, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Just like I took up my cross for you. Let me say it differently. There's a very real way in which we will never contribute to God's plan for the reconciliation of the world until we are deeply transformed in the depths of our souls. It's got to start in our souls and how we relate to Jesus. We've got to be new creations before we can be ambassadors. Now, go back to Ananias, because here's another thing. Do you notice how kind Ananias is to Paul, Saul? So look at verse 17. He calls him brother in the story. And he lays his hands on Saul, which is a sign of blessing. It's a sign of prayer. And he calls him brother. Now, why does he call him brother? Because Saul's not his brother. Saul's his enemy. He's worst enemy. Why does Ananias call him brother? 
Well, turn over to the first reading. Verse 16, Paul gives us an insight here, and he says this. From now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Now, do you notice in those verses, there's a shift. Paul talks about a shift for the way he re responds to Jesus. He regards Jesus no longer according to the flesh. But do you notice before that, he says he also has uh, changed the way he relates to everybody. There's a shift in how he relates to Christ, but there's also a shift on how he relates to everybody else. No longer according to the flesh. What does that mean? Well, when we're centered on self, uh, there's a tendency to view other people in the way that Saul used to, right? Um, anyone who lines up with our self-interest, we're gonna perceive them as an ally somehow. And anyone who we perceive as, as opposing us or our interests or the interest of our tribe or whatever it is, we're gonna see them as an opponent and as an enemy. But here's the thing, when Christ becomes the animating center of your life, it's, he's gonna change the way we relate to people. Go back to Ananias. Saul, we've already said this, without question is Ananias' enemy, maybe his worst. And yet Ananias can look at Saul with kindness and even tenderness and love, why? because he could see that Saul, he could look at Saul, not only through the lens of his own self-interest, but he could look at Saul through the lens of Jesus Christ, no longer according to the flesh, but through Christ. Ananias knew that Jesus loved Ananias when Ananias was Jesus's enemy. And therefore that allowed Ananias to look at Saul and see him differently. He could look at Saul and say, Jesus loved me when I was his enemy. And therefore Saul, I can love you despite the fact that you are my enemy. I can love you and I can treat you with the kindness that I have received from Christ himself. He's relating to Saul no longer according to the flesh, but according to Christ. Now, Emmanuel, listen, can you see how Ananias is acting as an ambassador. Don't miss this. Can you see how God is making his appeal through Ananias to Saul? Just the fact of, of Ananias's kindness and love and his willingness to serve his enemy, God is using that action and those words to show Saul what Christ's reconciling love really looks like. And let me say it this way. Christ's call to be his ambassadors is always going to be a call to love our enemies. And just imagine how compelling our church would be, the church would be, if we really learned to love our enemies really well. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be beautiful? I mean, it would be hard. It would be painful. Don't idealize it. It would feel like we're hanging on the cross a lot of the time. Loving enemies, don't, it's hard. It's really hard and it's complex. Ananias is scared to go and talk to Saul. And sometimes that's what it feels like to follow Jesus. And loving our enemies is super complex. And it doesn't mean that we accommodate to everybody. It doesn't mean that we bow to everybody's demands. It doesn't mean that we agree with everybody. Oftentimes, loving enemies includes conflict. In fact, the whole uh, letter, Paul's whole letter to the uh, Corinthians, that there's conflict going on. Paul is loving them in part by rebuking them. So loving enemies is complex. It often means conflict. 
But it also means that as we love our enemies, our aim in engaging them is bigger than winning. It means that our goal is ultimately to point them to Jesus. It means that we desire their best and not just victory for ourselves. It means that we do not humiliate our opponents. It means that we are not cruel to our opponents. It means that we take no pleasure in their misfortune. And we get to treat them like Christ has treated us. Friends, have you forgotten the privilege? I know you haven't. Remember the privilege of getting to reflect Jesus's love because when you know Jesus's love for you, what higher privilege is there to reflect that? And what better way to reflect that than to enemies? Sorry. Okay, to be an ambassador, we've gotta be new creations. We've gotta decent ourselves, recenter Christ, and he has to be our priority. But to be an ambassador of Christ also means that we get to ugh, love our enemies, and that's gonna feel like we're hanging on the cross sometimes. And then finally, to be an ambassador of Christ means we get to be faithful to the message of reconciliation as Jesus has given it to us. Look at the first reading, verse 19. Paul says this. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Pause. That's a little summary along with the next verse. That's a little summary of the message of reconciliation. Oftentimes we call it the gospel that God was in Christ reconciling the world by not counting their sins against them. Okay, but now, finish it. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Now, focus on that last phrase, the message of reconciliation and entrusting the message of reconciliation. Now, like I said at the beginning, Paul and the other apostles had a very unique role in clarifying the message of reconciliation. So a lot of the uh, apostles had, had known Jesus firsthand. Um, and uh, uh, apostles like Paul, uh, Jesus gave them a particular mission to clarify uh, the message of reconciliation and, and, to, and to state it with a pristine clarity. And that message comes to us through the Bible. This is one of the reasons we treasure the Bible as received so deeply, because it, it's through, this, th through the Bible that we gain the message of reconciliation. And our job is to faithfully pass that message on to this generation and to the next generation. And our role is to pass that message on without tampering with it, without modifying it, without editing it, precisely as Jesus has entrusted it to us. We wanna make it as clear as we can. We wanna hold up Jesus as he presents himself in his word. Because a good ambassador carries a message and delivers a message, but a good ambassador does not modify the message in the process. Now, remember I said that being an ambassador of Christ is something that's full of joy, and it's also super scary. And it's full of joy because, like Ananias, we get a little role in God's plan to reconcile people to himself. And at the same time, it's super scary because it's a grave responsibility and Emmanuel, every one of us is going to be tempted to modify the message. And our job, Emmanuel, is to treasure the message of reconciliation and then pass it on uh, unimpaired to everyone who will receive it and then to die in the attempt. Isn't that great? Except I suspect that even as I say this, um, it'll aggravate 
some of us, in, and it'll bring up, oh, a little bit of cringe and a little bit of cynicism. And I can see why. Are you cynical about the church? You probably have good reason to be. I can think of a lot of reasons. And the failure of the church sometimes towers above our heads. And so it's easy to be cynical about the church and about God's plan to use the church. And for others of us, it's not so much that we feel cynical, it's that we just feel scared. It's daunting. It's too big for us. And if that's the way you feel, you're right. Jesus gives this church a, a mission that's way bigger than we can ever hope to pull off by ourselves. And therefore, Emmanuel, the only way to be faithful to this message, the only way to be uh, ambassadors of Christ and to love our enemies and to become new creations is if we hear verse 20. Do you see it? Look at verse 20. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. The only way any of this works is if uh, reconciliation in Christ becomes the animating center of our lives. Is it the animating center of your life? And this is where I get to say something wonderful to you. Jesus wants to make his reconciliation the animating center of your life. And I promise you that you will never find something, a message and a, a news that will be as good for as long as the message of reconciliation in Christ will be for you. And therefore, I say this, Emmanuel, take that part of your heart that is frightened and that part of your heart that is cynical, and for all the good reasons, take that part of your heart and take it to the cross of Christ. And then take the part of your heart that just doesn't want to love your enemies or only wants to love them in the abstract, but never please in the concrete. Take the part of your heart that has suffered alienation time and again, and also the part of your heart that has perpetrated it. And come on. It has. And take all of that to the cross of Christ because remember, remember what I said at the beginning, despite all the alienation that we see in our world and despite the conflict and despite the fact that sometimes it looks like it's gonna win, despite all of that, the cross of Christ defies it and says that there is a God who is not detached from the alienation of this world, but has entered into it and has experienced it all in the death of Christ. And therefore, if you want to meet that God and we all of us urgently must meet that God, do not turn your eyes away from that God, you only meet that God at the cross of Christ. And there you will find yourself meeting God yet again. He has not ignored your alienation, and he has not ignored any of it, and he has felt the sting of it more than you have, and more than everybody has. God in Christ was reconciling the world to himself and opening up a way so that our sins cannot be, need not be counted against us. And he did that by verse 21. For our sake, God made Christ to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let that land on you because Christ gave all that he is so that you can be reconciled. And when that lands upon you, let it call forth a surrender surrender all that you are to him. And that will begin the first taste of your eternal reconciliation. And then as Christ's cross becomes sweet to you, I know there's reasons to be disappointed with the church, but there are no reasons to be disappointed with the cross of Christ. As the cross becomes sweet upon your heart, then your cynicism will begin 
to be transformed and your fear will begin to be transformed and you will find yourself a new creation with your eyes locked upon Christ, desiring to decenter yourself and to recenter Christ. And then with Christ as your center, you will desire to love others as you have been loved. You will aspire to love your enemies. And even when it feels like you're hanging upon the cross with Christ, you will be able to say, I am I am privileged to share in the sufferings of Jesus. And then as you are loving your enemies, hanging on the cross with Christ, then you will be an ambassador of God in this world. And as we do that, Emmanuel, we have the high privilege that God, I don't even, it takes my breath away to say it. God will make his appeal through us. Please, Jesus. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com slash give.